I'm Nell, your pleasure coach, and I'm here to kibosh the shame and fear society has around women and V-Squad's pleasure. This is Millennial Triggered. for you all to listen to this podcast this week. I sat down with Sylvie Barak and we talked about pretty much all things, you know, mama. Um, And I was so intrigued. As someone who does not want to be a mom and someone who uh, does enjoy kids but does not want them of my own, um, it was so fascinating to hear her experience because um, I think – there's such a stereotype of, you know, assuming that women who want to have children are just going to embrace all of the joys of pregnancy, and that's just not the case. And I think that we really uh, try to, or our society, shames women when they are feeling down or having negative experiences while pregnant and and the aftermath as well. And Sylvia breaks it all down, and I'm just so excited because her negative experiences with her OBGYN in her first pregnancy led her down the path to um, find alternative resources to help support her during her pregnancy. And, um, And then moving on to her second pregnancy was really able to come into that, I think, a lot more. And it's just really exciting to hear how different her pregnancies were for her, um, how she experienced them. And she talks a lot about her experience going to pelvic floor therapy. She explains what it is, why it's so helpful, um, a lot of the common misconceptions that involve yoga balls and bouncing on them. Uh, (laughs) um, She talks about uh, sex and intimacy coaching. She talks about her experience as a doula and lactation consultant. Um, talks about opening her marriage up. Um, she talks about feeling alone in her sexuality and how going to a sex coach slash sex therapist um, really changed the way she looked and showed up in her relationship and I think uh, can can provide a lot of insight and hope for those of you who are experiencing similar things. And I think that if you don't relate to one aspect of Sylvie's life, you will definitely relate to another um, aspect of her life. She also talks a little bit about trigger mapping. Um, And there is a very interesting story about an anal dilator exploding in her vagina that you won't want to miss. (laughs) It was good. Um, she talks about sex after birth, um, peeing yourself, um, just so many things. And then she also throws me for a loop about what my, uh, about my own behavior in, um, in relationship. So without further ado, here is the podcast episode. to have this guest on today. Her name is Sylvie Barak, 
and she wears many hats. So she's trained at the Somatica Institute. She's a sex relationship and intimacy coach. She's a burlesque photographer. She's a trained doula, certified lactation educator, and she's a student of neuroscience. She's a mom, a wife, and a pretty badass babe so far that I'm, I'm realizing. <laughs> so I think it's fair to say that many people wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do all of this in one life. And you have, so I'm like, I'm just so thrilled to have you on. So welcome Sylvie. Thank you so much for having me on now. I'm so excited to be on here. So awesome. So I would just, I'd love for you to share a bit about yourself um, more. I know there's more on what I've just shared about you and who are you, some facts about yourself before we we dive into this really cool topic. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, I, I am a chronic overdoer. I don't, I don't like to sit and do nothing for long periods of time. So even, I, I would say that actually my my journey into sex and relationships actually started during pregnancy, which is such a strange place to start that. Yeah. But for me, it was so important that while I was going through pregnancy, there were just no resources there for me. And I had two very different pregnancies. I have two sons and the pregnancies for both were, were so very different. And I just felt that the medical system let me down every step of the way and 100% when it came to, to sexual health. Because all of a sudden, when you have a life inside you, people just assume that that's it. I mean, you've, mm-hmm. you've done the sex part, like that's what it was for. Now you have a baby and like, you know, please never talk about this again. <laughs> like it's right. awkward, it's embarrassing and the medical community don't wanna deal with you. And I'm a, so I'm also a former journalist, which means that I research the hell out of everything that I do. And, and I'm also very, very competitive. So, um, so that made a perfect storm. But when I was pregnant, I was like, I am going to have the best pregnancy that anyone has ever had ever in their entire lives. I'm going to research the shit out of it. I'm going to just make sure that I do all the things and that this baby is going to be so lucky. Like they're going to have just all the nutrients, all the best things, all the baby sounds that I can pump in through my stomach. And I'm going to have the best pregnancy. I'm going to be glowing. I'm going to be one of those people. Uh, Needless to say, I was not glowing. I mean, I was pretty sweaty and heavy from much of it. But it was just for one pregnancy, I was super horny, super horny, like Mm. all the time, like to the point where I would stop at traffic light and I would look at the person in the car next to me and think, if I just give them a look, we could pull over into a car park and have crazy sex. And I'd be like, (laughs) wait, what? Why? What? why am I thinking this? This is fabulous. I was like, is something going on with me? Like, I've never had these intrusive thoughts before. What is going on? And second pregnancy, it was exactly the opposite. Like, I just wanted nothing to do. Like, if anyone would touch me, I would flinch. And it was, it was bad. Like, my husband one night rolled over and put his hand on me and I punched him in the face. He was bleeding. So, and and he was bleeding. Did you just say, oh my God. I was asleep too, but he touched me and I was like, no, boom. Wow. Like, yeah. And it was, and I went to my midwife. Thank God I went, to, I changed. I went to a midwife after second pregnancy because the first one was just so bad with an OB. And I told her and I was crying and I was like, I, I don't want sex so much that I am actually hurting my husband in his sleep. If he dares to touch me, there's something wrong with me. I'm not normal. And she was like, Sylvie, let's, 
let's calm down for a second. And I was like, what if it never comes back? What if I punch him in the face every single time he wants sex from now on? And she was like, I highly doubtful, but let's, <laughs> let's discuss this. Let's discuss it. And, you know, and it turned out I'd had a, a miscarriage before that pregnancy. And what she explained to me was, you know, sometimes after miscarriage, the body can just decide that it is going to like shut down around this baby. Like it will just like, everything would be perceived as a threat you know obviously sex during pregnancy is not one iota harmful for the baby like not mm -hmm. at all right but uh sometimes in our in our minds right our bodies create these things in our minds that supposedly keep us safe even mm -hmm. if physically that's not true and so what she said was you know you know you had the miscarriage right before this in your head because I had said a few things about, I think I caused this. I think that oh. I went in a sauna before. And she was like, you probably didn't. And I was like, I think I did. Cause I didn't know in those first few weeks. And she was like, stop blaming yourself, mm -hmm. but we can't stop what our brain creates a narrative around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So my brain had probably created this narrative that I had done something. To yeah. Harm this baby, which was and it's so interesting. True. Like so many women hold that responsibility. Um, it's, it's amazing how many women I hear from that say like, yeah, it took me a really long time to just get rid of that guilt that I had, I had somehow caused this and, and try to work with that trauma. So it's, it's so common for women to take that on. Um, it's, and it's, 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 it's so, it can be so debilitating at times. Absolutely. And it's lonely and not being able to talk to your healthcare provider about these things is yeah. really, really isolating for so many women. And women really do take a lot of things onto themselves. They'll say, you know, like, you know, like, oh yeah, I have low sex drive. Yeah, I, mm. like, it's my my hormones. And it's, right. you know what? It might not even be your hormones. Your hormones don't actually have that much of an effect <laughs> on your like arousal level. Like they have some, but you know, you can use like, you know, if you have low estrogen, use extra lube. And like, yeah. you can yeah. also warm up a little bit more. There's there, there are so many things that are more important than your hormone levels. And we're so quick in the medical community, so quick to just dismiss it as, oh yeah, well, you're premenopausal or you're, yeah, you're going through pregnancy, your hormones are all messed up. That is not why people don't want sex or want sex more. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a mind game. And so, and that's the other thing. I mean, I, during my, after my first uh, son was born, I had all this maternity leave. I didn't know what to do with it. And I'd been doing this program called Gentle Birth by a midwife, an amazing Irish midwife called Tracy Donegan. And she, she developed this, she, she is an amazing woman. She really liked sports psychology and she was kind of fed up of all of this like hippie birthing, like, oh, I'm going to go birth in a field and with hypnosis. And it was like, what? Because, you know, there's some of us women who don't feel like going right. into a field and like listening to the birds <laughs> chirping and giving birth in like a bath, right? <laughs> some of us are kind of competitive and yes, and just, yeah, right. And so when you see swimmers at the Olympics and they have their headphones on and they're like in the zone, they're listening to hypnosis. And so Tracy developed this amazing program where she used sports psychology for birthing moms, which was like all like hypnosis and getting oh your head God. into the game. So I did her program during pregnancy and it resonated so hard because I'm a neuroscience uh, geek yeah. and, and I'm very much not a hippie. I really like hippies, but I am not one. <laughs> uh, and so I really absolutely love this gentle birth program. And when 
it, when I, when I'd had my son, I, I asked, I mean, she actually happened to live in my area. I was very lucky to do one of her courses in person. And I was like, I want to be one of your instructors. Teach, teach me everything, Tracy. And so she, she was so gracious and she let me do her, her gentle birth instructors course. So I have a certificate in that, which is basically a sports and birth hypnosis program. And not only can you use it for birth, you can use it for sex, you can use it for life. I mean, these skills for sports psychology and sports hypnosis just are a way of reframing, of reprogramming your brain. It's a lot of mindfulness. It's a lot of just, you know, what is important right now? And, you know, one sensation to the next, one sensation to the next. And it's just reframing. So things like, you know, people are always scared of pain during childbirth. And mm. it's like, well, let's not call it pain. Let's call right. it sensation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. There are intense sensations. There are less intense sensations. Let's reframe some of these things. And that's what yeah. we do in BDSM as well. Right. Like there's a difference between pain and intense sensation. And some people really, really like intense sensation, which other right. people would maybe classify as pain. Mm-hmm. So it is all a mental game. And that's what I love so much about sex, about childbirth, about you know, that when you start looking at things holistically, you start realizing that there's just so much crossover. Yes. And that's where yes, I discovered so it. So yeah, it was just an amazing journey. So I did that, that course while I was, I had, I had a baby on one boob and I was like doing my hypnosis <laughs> course on, on the other hand. And then I thought I really want to do my doula training and people, moms, other moms would come to me with, with, um, lactation issues and their doctors were not helping to fix it and lactation consultants are so expensive and I just thought it's so unfair unless you're really really rich what you don't get access to good lactation advice Mm -hmm. you don't get you know you don't get a doula you don't get to do any of these things that people with means can do and I thought I really want this to be more accessible and so I started just running these workshops in my mom's group uh for you know anyone who needs lactation help, anyone who wants to discuss sex after pregnancy. So after, after pregnancy, my first one, sex was unbelievable. You know, you go to the, to the doctor and after six weeks, the doctor's like, yeah, you're free to go and have sex again. Good luck. Goodbye. Don't care anymore. And, you know, went off after my six week appointment, very excited to have sex again. And um, told my husband, right, like tonight's the night. Like, tonight, tonight is the night. <laughs> and, and sex was was terribly painful I like I've been with my husband you know this was you know five years ago and we'd been together for for 15 years at that point he knew my body back to front he knew Mm -hmm. every inch of me we had explored everything together yeah we had you know when you've been with someone for 15 years you know their body you know how what feels good what doesn't it felt completely alien and so painful really and and I got angry and I was like, you don't know what you're doing. We haven't had sex for two months and you've forgotten how to do oh this. What is God. wrong with you? You know, terrible way to, to tell your partner that, that it's not working for you. Uh, but anyway. I, At least you didn't punch him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I I really, I, I, I think I was so frustrated. I was in such pain. I didn't know how what was happening I was also sleep deprived you know when you're a new yeah. born mom there's so much going on can you and explain was- a little bit about that pain 
were you just experiencing it, you know, in terms of vaginal penetration or was some other stuff happening with your body that maybe new time moms listening, you know, are like, Ooh, is there anything else that's happening? Like what just quickly, like what, what was it that you were experiencing that, that had that painful sensation? Yeah. So it definitely, uh, definitely my vagina felt just different. It, it was, it was drier because when you're breastfeeding, that there's a suppression of, of estrogen a little bit. So yeah, you're gonna be dry. You definitely need more lube. And it, it was just, I mean, some women also have scar tissue down there because they get epithiotomies or they mm -hmm. tear. Uh, there's there's a lot going on with your pelvic floor in those early days after birth. So some women have hemorrhoids. I mean, things are just not great down there and nobody addresses it. You know, you get told after six weeks, you know, be free, go on and have sex. And nobody tells you it might hurt. You might need more lube uh, that you might have, you know, issues with incontinence because your pelvic floor has just taken a massive beating. Right. And there's, there's all these jokes that we see on TV about it. Like, oh yeah, I'm a new mom. I just peed myself. And it's like, right, ha, right. ha ha hilarious. You can fix that. Why are we making jokes about it? And not, yeah. this does not need to be a thing. You can fix it. Right. So nobody tells you any of that. And also, you know, there's the fact that your belly is kind of jelly and you've got new skin and you don't feel super attractive. Sure. And you you're coming into a whole new relationship with your body. No one has prepared you for it. Nobody prepares you for the stretch marks, the way your boobs swell and leak and how you you know, you might be suffering from incontinence, you might be suffering from hemorrhoids, you might be, there's so many things that can be going on in a postpartum body that nobody talks about. Your hair starts falling out. That's another thing that nobody tells you. Pregnancy is wow. really rough on our bodies and no one tells us. And I'm on a mission to tell everyone, like hopefully this doesn't put people off having kids. You know, you can recover and there's many things that you can do to stop your hair falling out and to stop having painful sex and to fix your pelvic floor and all of these things. But nobody tells you. So it's yeah. kind of like this secret society where you have to like meet one mom who tells you like, oh, I know how to do, how right. to kill your incontinence. And you meet another mom who's like, oh, I know how to stop. You know, and it's like, why is all this information not in one place? Yeah, and, absolutely. And why do our medical providers not? provide us with that information yeah yeah well because I, I think you know the other day you were telling me a story about how your doctor when you had come back and said that you your like sex was really painful for you he said something that like really sparked a fire for you can you share a bit about that yeah so when I went back and I, I sort of said to him look I, we tried having sex now a couple of times it's been very painful and he said ah are you breastfeeding and I said yes he said well stop doing that and sex will improve and I was like my baby's six weeks old <laughs> and he was like well you know make a choice he's like you he's like it, that is what's causing the painful sex oh. he's like you know the high progesterone is lowering your estrogen and you know that that's what's causing it he didn't say that's what's causing dryness because then I would have been like oh so I can just use lube he just said stop breastfeeding sex will improve and I remember going home and thinking, I'm pretty sure that's bad advice and I'm going to research it. Thank God, I'm a researcher. So I got on the computer and started researching. And then it was like, yeah, okay, because your progesterone is higher and it's suppressing your estrogen doesn't necessarily mean that you need to stop breastfeeding. You just use more lube. That is it. Like, you know, or you need a little bit more warm up time or whatever. 
but stopping breastfeeding is definitely not the advice that, you know, for, but male OB, he yeah. clearly thought, you know, like between sex and breastfeeding, you have a choice, lady, like you yeah. choose. And then it's like, then it makes you the selfish one, right? Because then it's like, right, I'll give up on the needs of my baby right. for my husband, yes. or I'll give up on the needs of my husband for my baby. Like mm-hmm. you can't win in that situation. That's yeah. a, an awful situation to Yeah. Me. And there was just no support. There was no sympathy. There was no, oh, that's hard. Like anything else that you want to discuss? Any, nothing. And, and as I was researching it, I saw that, you know, in France, women at six weeks have a mandatory appointment with a pelvic floor therapist and that, you know, things get checked out there and, and that that's the way they do things. So I went back into his office you know, the following week, I got an appointment and I said, not stopping breastfeeding I'm just going to use more lube and he went oh that's a good idea oh went, my god thanks and I said and I'd like a referral to a pelvic floor therapist please and he went why <laughs> I was like because I want one and he was like huh are you having extreme incontinence and I said I'm not having extreme incontinence but I'm having some incontinence and also please just give me a referral to a pelvic floor therapist why am I having to argue with you about this just give me one and he was like, oh, well, fine. You should have just asked for that the first time. And I was like, right, okay. Well, I'm asking for it now and you're still making it difficult. So yes, I don't, yeah. you know. And he he did, he eventually, he was like, oh, let me see if I still even know one. Oh my gosh. He doesn't he know about lube. He doesn't know about pelvic floor therapy. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. And he eventually dug one up and he sent me to, to this to this lovely pelvic floor therapist. And it was funny though, because I because I didn't have any idea what one does in pelvic yeah, floor. Right. Physiotherapy. I thought, you know, physiotherapy. So I showed up in a tracksuit, right? Like I was <laughs> like, I'm ready to bounce on a ball. And, and she was like, take off your pants. And I was like, <sighs> we're bouncing on a ball with no pants. And she was like, <laughs> Do you know where you have this idea about bouncing on a ball, Sylvia? She's like, I'm going to stick my hand inside you. And then you're going to stick your hand inside me? What? <laughs> and then I was like, hang on, that's the most action I've had for quite a while. So, <laughs> so, so there, and through that whole entire time, was a ball ever uh, introduced? She has one in her office, and I yeah. feel supremely disappointed that I've never got to bounce on that ball. <laughs> It's always like, hi, Sylvie, take off your pants. And I just yeah. feel cheap. <laughs> I, I love that you did like the sports psychology birthing. And then you were like ready, to, you know, you came into pelvic floor therapy with like a track suit, ready to be like more, My more train is sports on. Ra- related stuff. <laughs> and it right. was just, it was amazing. Cause I was just like, are you allowed to do this? And she was like, um, yes. <laughs> Cause otherwise I would not be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I thought only gynecologists, you know, yeah, yeah, put their put their fingers inside you. And she was like, Well, how exactly am I supposed to test your pelvic floor? And I was like, oh, I had literally well, given yeah. it zero thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think lots of people just have never. I mean, we we think when we hear therapy and visit like pelvic floor therapy, we we think like yeah, normal physiotherapy that kind of stuff. So what was that like? What were some of the exercises that you you had to do during that time? Yeah, so what first of all what was really interesting was, you know, she and she was so lovely. She talked to me the whole time, like, how's your baby? Like, how are you? Are you getting enough sleep? And that was so nice and nurturing. Aww. 
And, you know, and while she's having a feel up around inside there, and she said, oh, I can feel a lot of scar tissue. And I was like, scar tissue? Huh. And she was like, that's why you're having some pain. And she was like, we can work on that scar tissue uh, to release it because scars um, are quite tight. And so they create more tightness in the vagina than, than you would usually have. And, but they can be worked on. They can be worked on. So she she worked on them quite a lot. And then she also asked me to do a Kegel and I did one and she was like, yeah, no, that's uh, that's not working. And she was like, do it again. And I did it again. She was like, that's also not working. And she was like, how are you doing these? And I was like, I'm trying to stop myself from peeing. That's what they always tell you. And she was like, wrong. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, that's how everyone tells you to do Kegels. Like I've read on the internet like a million times. And she was like, well, the pelvic floor is way more complex than that. She was like, one contraction is to stop your pee mid-flow. She was like, that is, she's like, if you do that right now, she's like, you can do that. And th there's one set of muscles working. She's like, that's not your entire pelvic floor. Right. She's like, if you want to do a proper Kegel, then you literally bring your butthole up inside and hook it to your belly button. And I was like, what? how do you hook your butthole to your belly button like I she was like try it she's like she's like visualize that she's like visualize like a, a hook that's like on the inside of your butthole and she's like visualize pulling that hook up inside you and hooking it onto like a little catch that's like I on the inside it. of your belly button I feel like and, everyone's gonna be doing this when they hear right? it because I'm doing it right now, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so and I you know, so I, so I did that and it was a completely different sensation. And I was like, oh, and she was like, oh, I felt that one. She's like, it's still, she's like, it's not strong. She's like, because your muscles are weak. She's like, but that is what I'm looking for. She's like, I want you to do that. And she's like, and when it gets stronger, I want you to add that one with the stopping of the pee at the same time. Ooh. She's like, that is a full cake. Wow. And that had never been explained to me properly either. It's not information that is readily available that you no. find. No, I mean and like the stopping of the urine, that kind of stuff is commonly what I what I hear a lot. Um, and I think if the, you do both, you can definitely feel the difference, right? That's oh for sure. And I'm so used to doing the. I mean, I've never heard this analogy, but I love it. This you know butthole hook analogy. I've always done that, but I as you were speaking and you were talking about stopping the flow of urine I thought how does that how is that different and I realized oh okay yeah so that would be really like no wonder she couldn't feel that like regardless of if you had tight muscles or not just like that very small action really it's just like a tiny like little blip you yep. know but yeah it's a full you're really bringing your butt right up to you um yeah. And so if I, you start it, so if you do the the stopping P one first, and then yeah. you hook your butthole up, you should feel this kind of like woo shimmy yes. sensation. Yes. Yeah, that's so this, true. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you, yeah, yeah. It gives you like a little like woo. That was a little thrill. And 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 that's actually we use that with erotic breath work. So I'll teach that to my clients where I combine activating their pelvic floor like that with some erotic breath work, and that is a way to turn yourself on. If you want to, you know, turn yourself on for five, 10 minutes before a sexual experience, that mm -hmm. is one of the fastest ways to embody it is to just, you know, with open mouth breathing. So you're getting in like yes. a lot of yeah. air, like the, <sighs> and, and doing like those kind of 
full on like shivery cables. Uh-huh. That like brings a ton. Of oh energy. my gosh. I'm writing this down to have you on for the next podcast episode. We had to do a whole one on that. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. So like this entire, like this, this whole world opened up to you that you just had no idea and had, had you not had that instinct to push further and be your own advocate and say, mm, I don't believe that I have to choose between one or the other. And I don't believe that like this doctor's word is the last true godly word you, you pushed further. Um, and I think a lot of women are so scared to do that or don't know how to speak up about it. Um, and then a lot of women are just raised with a fear around their bodies. They don't, you know, when, when you're pregnant, you have to, you have to kind of you're forced to notice a lot more and deal a lot more with things that's happening in your body. And then if you don't have that, um, healthy connection, that's, um, already set up, then it's, you kind of feel like you're in limbo. So, um, you know, I just think there's just a lot of shame around about, you know, being pregnant and being sexual in the first place. Right. There's actually, you know, there's a whole genre of pregnancy porn that men really enjoy. Yes. Right? And I yeah. Think if women knew how much I, some yeah. men really enjoy having sex with a pregnant woman, because I think sometimes pregnant women think, God, I'm fat. I look like a whale. I am right. like heavy. I'm sweaty. I'm, and they're like, Ugh, who would want to have sex with me? I'm not a ch-. like, and you can really internalize that and feel like yeah. attractive. Watch yeah. some pregnancy porn and see how into it some it's people true. are. It's true. And do you find, like, did you find with your husband that something changed? Like, you know, when you're like this idea, like when you first start to um, conceive, like, so there's more of like a primitive feeling that happens where you're like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get her pregnant. Like there's something like takes like that a hold. Yeah. Thing. Did you find like that there was a shift in your husband or no? He, I think like a lot of men, he was very concerned in the beginning, like, am I going to hurt the baby? <laughs> right. Like, it's literally impossible. That's literally impossible. So like, no, but you know, and I had to like show him a bunch of anatomy diagrams and be like, here's why. And also honey, like your penis is amazing, but it's not that long, <laughs> right? It's long, but it's not that long. You're not going to poke the baby uh, in the eye. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you can keep that in your fantasy of like, you know, that's how long it is. No. It's a genre like baby eye poking on porn. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it wasn't actually my husband that made me feel like the, se- like the, the moment in pregnancy, I think when I felt like super sexy pregnancy goddess was like, I think I just finished a pregnancy yoga class and I was waddling across the street with my yoga mat under my arm, pressed to my big belly. And this, truck like just stopped next to me and the guy hung out the window and went like he just wolf whistled and went Woo! sexy hot mama and I was like oh and then I like, looked <laughs> behind me because I was like who's he talking to and then he was like look at that beautiful mom and belly and wow it's fucking hot and I was like wow <laughs> I love it so much. And then he drove off and I was like, wait, where are you going? <laughs> I was like, for the This the was during your horny time, pregnancy. It was. I was, like, the, I was like, this is literally the only time someone's ever wolf whistled me from the car that I'm like, let's do it. Let's yeah. have sex. Because literally so that funny. never happens. But yeah. like that one time I was like, I, I could totally go for that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he, he left. <laughs> Where'd he go? 
Oh my gosh, it was perfect. They have those mattresses up top in the in the trucks. <laughs> well, I'm thinking the of the transport thing, truck. The other thing that that like really awakened me to like just my vagina in general during pregnancy because we don't spend a lot of time thinking about. I mean, I don't know. Maybe today we do maybe today because of Instagram and because of social media and because we're having more of these conversations maybe we think about our vaginas and our genitals in, in general more um but I hadn't really given that much thought to my genitals before pregnancy and then I remember becoming really terrified of this idea that a baby's head would have to come out of there and thinking right. I, I don't know like I don't think it's gonna fit like I don't think that's gonna work that's like 10 10 centimeters that's like you look at that you look at like the visualization of it and you're like and I remember <laughs> sitting there with a mirror and looking at my vagina and thinking that's not gonna fit man like I don't I don't know how that's gonna work and it's it's terrifying and a lot of women get really scared at that thought and I remember sharing that with my doula I was so lucky to have a doula and she was she's just the most special person to me in the world like we became very very good friends um her name is Fabs and I just she's she's the best and I remember telling her I was like Fabs I'm so like I want to ask for a c-section and she was like absolutely you are not going to ask for a c-section and I was like I I just don't think I'm gonna tear I'm really worried about it and she was like Sylvie first of all like tearing sounds a lot worse than it is she was like but clearly if you want to avoid it like there are things that we can do and I was like like what how do we avoid it like how do we avoid tearing and she was like well there is this device in Europe that's it's not FDA FDA approved in the US but it is approved in Europe and it's called the epino right because there's episiotomy when means when they oh, when they yes, cut you yeah. and so it's like epi no no <laughs> let's not do that um and she was like and she was like so you you put that in and it, it stretches it stretches your vagina out like to, to, to dilation. Right. And I was like, okay. And she was like, you can get something similar in the U S and it's, it's, um, it's just, and I was like, is it hard to get? She was like, no, you can get it on Amazon. It's just, um, your Amazon search results will change forever. And I was like, what's it called on Amazon? She's like, an anal expander. Like, An anal expander. <laughs> Hang on. You said I put, she's like, yes, you put this in your vagina. She's like, but actually it's a gay sex toy. She's like, it's, you know, gay, gay men or, or, you know, women who want to, to enjoy anal will insert that into their anus. And then it's like a, it's, it's like a, yeah, it's like a dildo that inflates like a balloon. Oh, it inflates. So it's different than like, um, when you have vaginismus and you have like different dilator sets, when you work up, it actually, in, it's like it all fates. in one. You have a pump. You have a my pump God. and it's, and it's like it. oh a my balloon. God. And so you put it in and it, it feels quite firm and then, and then you blow it and it's like, right. And so I, I bought this anal expander on Amazon. I was very excited. I found one, it was like 20 bucks. And I was like, what a deal. The Epino is like a hundred bucks. And I was like, this is way better. So yeah, like, and plus I couldn't get the Epino. So I yeah. got myself the anal expander from Amazon. She was right. My, my targeted ads have never been the same. <laughs> And I, I get it. And, and I was, and I downloaded this chart from the internet of, you know, like dilation sizes. So I could check the size okay. of the balloon and I, I inserted it and I put my hypnosis on and I blew it up to the highest tolerable level. And I was like, oh, okay, I literally cannot tolerate any more of this. Like it must be huge. Let's see how much dilation I achieved. And it was like three and a half centimeters. And I was like, 
oh shit wow. like I was like I literally I, I can't like I literally can't yeah mm-hmm. go more than that and I freaked out I cried I got on fabs I was like fabs I am never gonna be able to burst this baby I'm, I can't get past three and a half centimeters I can't I can't and she was like sorry this was your first time this was your first try I was like I listened to hypnosis I breathed and she was like you're not breathing now like take a fucking breath like breathe and I was like <laughs> and she was like try again tomorrow and see if you can get to three and a half and just hang out there for like 10 minutes and I was right. like okay she was like and if you can like maybe do one more squeeze and get to four and I was like all right and she was like okay like and by the way I just want to say for like anyone who wants to try this at home don't try it unless you're at least 37 weeks pregnant oh okay right? okay because yeah you, you don't I was gonna want, ask like, like what yeah what it's is not the term? it's not dangerous and but you don't want to kick labor in early it's not there aren't too many studies that show that you can but out of an abundance of caution probably don't try it until you're at least 37 weeks got it okay right okay so when you're 37 weeks you can start trying that out so I was 37 weeks and and I thought, oh my God, I only have three weeks to get to 10 centimeters. And I was trying to like track out how many days there's do I this, need to... <laughs> this sport, this sport comic competitiveness very again. <laughs> I told you. And so like every day and I had it like marked out my chart. Like I have to be at like five centimeters in, in like four days time. I have to be at like whatever. So the next day I did it again and, and again, like, and it was the worst 10 minutes of my day. Cause I was like, oh my God, I have to stick that thing. And I have to like blow it, blow it up to like, tolerable level and then push past that and it was it was hard but like eventually competitive person that I am I get to nine and a half centimeters and I showed my husband I was like ah and I come out like holding this balloon (laughs) and I'm like look at this and it has like you know pussy juice all over it and he's like ew wash that and I was like but look it's nine and a half and he was like good job like take that out of my face (laughs) and and then I was like tomorrow I'm gonna get to 10 and he was like you know what babe like it's like a marathon right like when you're training for a marathon you don't need to run the whole marathon you just need to like get close enough that you're like in the on the day I'll get there because yeah yeah. and I was like no I I definitely want to get to 10 and he was like okay I just don't think you need to but whatever and I was like you know 39 and a half weeks at this point next day super heavily pregnant like huge belly lying on my bed and I think I'm gonna do it again I'm gonna get to 10 put my hypnosis on get it in get to like nine and a half and I'm like, like I can do this I can do this I can do this do one more squeeze and it bursts ah! like you have never seen like a pregnant whale jump that high off of a bed (laughs) like the shock it gave me I was like (gasps) like and the explosion like it was loud it was loud there was latex plastered on the wall because the balloon burst right oh my gosh like it didn't hurt but it was like such a surprise and a shock it's like you know when someone bursts a balloon in your face yeah it doesn't hurt but it's like supremely shocking oh my, my husband God. came running in and he was like oh my god like do we need to go to the hospital are you okay and I was like <laughs> and he was like are you wounded are you hurt and I was like no I think I'm, I think I'm okay and he was like let me check you know like he's like down there like checking. yeah and he's he like do you think you have any bits of balloon left inside you and I was like oh, I'll just go in and check so I can go in and check and I was like 
no, I'm good. Like, there's nothing left in there. And he was like, oh my God, babe. Like, what? And I was like, I got to 10. I, and, I, and then I was like, really happy. I was like, I got to 10. And he was like, okay. <laughs> cool. Um, and then I was like, Fucker, like that thing should have had a warning on it that it can't get to 10. Well, I was gonna like, say probably why the other one is yeah, not right? FDA approved. <laughs> yeah, and also he was like, I don't think gay men are trying to like get babies yeah. out of their butts. It's so a good point. 10 centimeter dilation, he's like, probably not wise to like do that. So I was like, I'm gonna like message Amazon. And he was like, Okay, <laughs> why? And I was like, I want my money back. So I did so I get on Amazon chat and I was like, I have a problem with uh, order number 1XZ395. And they were like, and you can see the guy like typing, deleting, yeah. typing, yeah. deleting. And then he's like, the anal expander, ma'am? And I was like, yes. And he was like, typing, deleting, typing. And then he was like, may I ask what the issue was? And I was like, yes, it burst while it was inside me. And he's like, there's like silence on the Amazon chat for a little while. And then he's like typing, deleting, typing, deleting. And this goes on for five minutes. Like I'm waiting for his response for five minutes. Like, and I can only imagine that he's probably like, guys, I'm having like a super weird customer service situation right now. Like, what do the I, manual. What do I do? There's nothing in the manual about <laughs> <laughs> anal explosions. <laughs> and then eventually he's like, um, replacement or refund? And I was like, hmm, good question. Replacement. And he types, Really? <laughs> like capital letters and like question mark and I was like no yes really and he's like I will get that out for you later today oh my god hope you've had a great experience with Amazon chat bye-bye <laughs> like, logs off. that's so funny so yeah wow so oh. I got my replacement anal expander but I didn't need it because I went to labor the next day oh. and I had oh, no tearing really? I you had, had no tearing. tearing oh my gosh that's amazing honestly but that's my anal expander story but yeah it, it the whole point is basically you know there are ways to prevent tearing. There are right. things that like, that, that, and you can bring in a wet, like I was like amazed at myself. I was like, look how stretchy one can be if you bring a little bit of mindfulness and a little bit of patience. That's what I always tell people, you know, who are curious about testing out their limits in BDSM as well. And they're like, oh, I don't like pain. And it's like, well, first of all, let's reclass that as sensation. Second of sure. all, you know, let's see where your like edge of resistance is. And then hang out at your edge of resistance yeah. for a little while. Yeah. A little while. And then push it a little. So and then push it a little. So what are some things? Because obviously like um it's taken a huge amount of effort for you and and two pregnancies to find these resources. And then obviously, like you've you felt so empowered with them that like you you have all of these certifications and you hold all of these these hats or you wear all of these hats. And so from your experience and all of these, what are like some, some key points that you want women out there, um, or people who don't, don't identify as women, but are going through pregnancy. Um, what are some things that you would like them to know that they're like, that they wouldn't necessarily be able to access from like traditional, you know, going to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, if you're a birthing person, you know, whatever gender you, you may be. Oh, I like that birthing person. Yeah. And also, by the way, I think they they changed the term recently when I was doing my lactation education certificate. Um, it's not breastfeeding anymore. It's, it's chest, chest feeding. feeding. Right. Right. I, I, I have said breastfeeding and 
you know, it, it's, it is no longer really the, the approved term, right? Like okay. but everyone calls it what they feel comfortable yeah. with. So if you feel yeah. comfortable with chest feeding, you go with chest feeding. For me, it, because I have, have breasts, yes. it, it, yeah. it felt like breastfeeding. So that is what I call it for me personally. But, sure. you know, whatever anyone is, is comfortable with. It's like, you know, when we call our genitals different things, right? Like we, we call them what we call them. And that's, yeah. you know. Yeah. But if you are a birthing person, I'd say that for me, my biggest the biggest change from one pregnancy to the other was that one I did with a traditional OB and the second one I did with a midwife. And can and, you just quickly explain the differences for everyone? Yeah. But yeah, so the two. an OB uh, is a, you know, a gynecologist is, can be male or female, but they're still kind of within the patriarchal medical system that has a, a certain view of women and you know, even, I mean, pregnancy is viewed as a, as a, as an illness, right? It's viewed as a, as a thing that needs to be managed and treated. It's not celebrated. It's not, okay. it, it, it's a pathology, right? Like we are, we come into the office as patients and we are treated as patients. Right. And actually it's the baby that's the priority and not the mom at all. I mean, you're basically a vessel, a mom right. birthing person, right? You, you're just a vessel for this child and you are very much treated as such, right? You are, you are weighed and shamed, by the way. Every time you go into the OB, they, they will weigh you and say like, oh, you gained a lot this month. Um, you're made to do tests like the, the pregnancy diabetes glucose test. Is, it's really unpleasant and you can do it a different way. My, my midwife made me do it on my own. Right. Like, so the big differences between going to a, an OB and going to a midwife is that right. the midwife treats you like a human adult and wow. the OB treats you like barely even a person. And if you are a person, then someone that really just needs to be patronized to quite a lot and not trusted or empowered with decisions. Mm-hmm. Often OBs won't even ask consent from women before doing. So they, they do something that's called a sweep in the last uh, few weeks of pregnancy to induce it. Sometimes OBs won't even ask. They'll just do the sweep and then they'll tell the mom, oh, I gave you a sweep during our checkup today. It's like, you need to ask. You need to ask consent. Yeah. It, this is not, this is not your body. It's not your right. baby. It's mine. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they just, they're so entitled because it's a patriarchal system. Mm -hmm. They are so entitled. Oftentimes women will find themselves in the hospital and an OB will casually walk in with like three or four students trailing along. And, you know, the the mom will be on the bed and the OB will come in and be like, here, have a look up this woman's vagina. You can see that she's crowning. And it's like, I'm sorry, nobody asked whether I could have five person, five people looking inside me right now. You ask, yeah. consent, but they don't because they just assume like, uh, you know, she's birthing, like we can do whatever right now. It's not a big deal. Sometimes they don't even introduce themselves before they go and stick a finger inside honestly, you. Honestly, like the things I've heard about OBGYNs are, are crazy. It's shocking. They, it's, and no wonder, no wonder um, women and um, birthing people just don't feel confident going in or there's so much fear or just can't even ask follow-up questions because you feel like you're kind of you're you're on a conveyor belt you know like when you go in and just like as someone who is not carrying a child like you feel that rush 
you know, you feel that rush um, and things you want to speak up about. Like I know my OBGYN, she, I remember she put on her, her gloves one day, but then she needed to pull a chair over for some reason. And she used, she touched the fucking chair with her gloves and I I didn't say anything (laughs) that I should have, but like the, the fear instilled in us. Um, to not like, don't speak up, whatever. It's sh- it's shocking. I mean, the yeah. level of of violence that happens in obstetrics actually, and just the level of disregard, not like n- not feeling cared for. So you know, you, you're, you're pregnant, you're heavy, you're sore. Yeah. You go into that office. First of all, you don't even get ten minutes of their time, right? Like, so you go in that some random nurse you've ever seen will like weigh you and take your blood pressure and whatever. And then you go into the room, you basically strip half naked and you're lying there half naked and uncomfortable. And you usually wait for about 20, 30 minutes for them to even come into the room and grease you with their presence. Yeah. They come into the room, they they lift up your shirt, they do a quick ultrasound. And then they're like, look, baby's heartbeat's going. Yeah, it's great. Look, like, you know, are you excited? Great, good job. Any other questions? No, okay, fine. Thank you, goodbye. And they leave. Right. Like you don't even even if you had questions, they don't make it inviting enough for you to ask them. And they're they're so you can always tell how pressed for time they are. Uh And you're like, wow, if I do have a question, I don't even think they'd have the time to answer. No, no. When I switched to going to a midwife, it was so confusing because in my second pregnancy, I actually went to the OB twice in my second pregnancy. And then my amazing doula fabs was like, Sylvie you complain about going to the OB all the time. Why don't you just switch to a midwife? And she really wanted to push me to have a home birth, which I did do in the end. And I was very happy to do that. But she was like, go to a midwife, go to a midwife, go to a midwife. And I was like, oh, I just don't know. Like, are they trained? And she was like, "Um, yes, they absolutely are. Absolutely they are. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I don't know. They just sounds very hippie. And she was like, yeah, no, it's an actual degree. And you have to like, you know, go under like a ton of supervision and they are 100% safe and trained and they work in hospitals. What is wrong with you? Don't be a child. And I was like, true. So I did my research and I was like, yes, I'm going to a midwife. So I went to a midwife, amazing, amazing woman. But I literally, I walk in and she's like sitting down all like peaceful and calm. And she was like, hi, may I give you a hug? And I was like, yes. (laughs) Okay. So she gave me a hug and then we sat down and she was like would you like some tea and I was like wow uh I mean if it's not inconvenient and she was like well it's not inconvenient to me like do you want one and I was like yes (laughs) so she like made me a cup of tea as I'm saying that and she was like she hands me like a little um stick and she was like this is the urine test she's like go off into the bathroom at any point if you feel like you need to go uh, dip the stick in and let me know if there's any abnormalities and you know she'd given me a chart with the colors on it so I could look at my own urine stick Wow! so I went into the bathroom and I peed and I put my urine stick in and I looked and everything was fine so I brought the stick into her to show yeah. her yeah. and I was like look hope and she was like why are you bringing me your urine stick <laughs> and I was like uh to show you that it's that it's good and she was like Sylvie you're a grown woman and I trust you. And I did not need to see your pee stick right now because oh I trust gosh, you that wow. if it's fine, it's fine. She's like, if it's not yeah. fine, I would trust you to tell me that too. And I was like, oh, 
she was like I, this is not an exam like she's like it's not like I'm your teacher and you need to bring me your pee stick to grade like she's like I'm not grading your pee stick very good you get an a plus on your yeah. pee stick like that's so interesting because like, we're just so used to you know we we are not part of the assessing our bodies like you know we go in we pee we put it there and and the doctor does all of that and um to then we're not trusted they don't trust us to do it is the point right like they do all of that because they do not trust us to give our results um and it was the same thing with the glucose test when it came time to do it i was like don't i have to do that glucose test with the weird drink and the blood test and she was like you gross no she was like those are very bad for you and she's like i suggest going to cvs and buying yourself a glucose monitor which you can get in any drugstore right like diabetics test themselves every day right she was like, just go get yourself one. And she's like, and then here is a list of things that you need to eat on the morning of the test. She's like, first of all, she's like, on the day of the test, I want you to do 12 hours fasting, wake up in the morning, test your blood, uh, note down your reading. She's like, then you eat 75 grams of carbs or whatever it is. Here are three approved menus that you can eat for yourself, like, you know, toast and a cereal and a banana and whatever. She's like, eat those things. And then, uh, you know, wait half an hour, take a little walk, test again, jot down that result. Let me know what your results are. And I was like, okay. So again, like I take a photo of like the results so that I'm like, she she knows I'm not lying. Right. Like, right. Yeah. And I sent it to her and she was like, good job. Like, she's like, you didn't need to send it to me. Like, cool. she's like, yeah. And, and I still have friends who go through this horrible glucose drink ordeal where they have to be at the blood testing center for three hours and they're always sick afterwards because they have to drink this horrible drink. And it's like, they just don't, they, they don't need to do any of that. Right. And also the midwife gives you an hour of time. So that first time that I was there, you know, after she checked in with me and all of that, and she was like, you know, I was like, well, thank you very much. That was great. And she was like, where are you going? And I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, we've done all the tests, right? And she was like, yeah, but we have 40 minutes left of our session. And I was like, what do you mean we have 40 minutes? And she was like, every consultation I do is about an hour. Wow. And I was like, an hour? What am I supposed to? T-? I was like, what do I tell you in an hour? I was like, I don't have any issues. And she was like, well, let's just chat. Like, wow. how, like let's chat about like, you know, how's sex, like how, like how's exercise going, any pains, cramps, nightmares, like anything going on for you. And it was just like, I just started crying and I was just like, wow, this is like, I feel so, so amazing. So validated. And as, as it should be, you know, it's not this, you know, sterile experience, you know, it's, and everyone is so different. Um, and it's so important to find that community. Um, so if someone wanted to find a midwife, yeah, would they just, um, and there are I'm, hospital midwives and home birth midwives. So just because you're going with a midwife doesn't mean you have to have a home birth. I know a lot of people are worried okay. about doing home birth. Actually, you know, if you research it, you'll see that home births are really not dangerous, mm-hmm. but you know, whatever people are comfortable with and they have midwives at hospitals. So just find a hospital midwife near you and your insurance will probably cover it. You can always ask for exceptions as well. And it's just such better care. But then it also comes back to the fact of like being seen, being understood. And that brings back to the beginning of the pelvic floor therapist who introduced me to somatica and who introduced me to sex therapy in general was, you know, as she had her, her fingers inside me, the pelvic floor therapist, and I'd started to cry. 
she looked me in the eye and she went, this isn't about the pain that just the physical pain, is it? And I went, no, it's not. I'm, I, I was like, I like, there's so, there's so much going on. And she was like, tell me what's going on. And I was like, I've, I've been living a lie sexually for like my whole life. You know, I hadn't told anyone at that point that I was bisexual, that I like, you know, that I'd been sleeping with women, you know, even though I was married, I hadn't told my husband that either, right? It's technically cheating. Um, but I, like, it all caught up with me in that moment, like, having someone there in my pelvic floor, literally with her fingers <laughs> in my pelvic floor, like, giving me care, looking in my eyes, giving me that validation. Like, it yeah. felt so connected. It felt so safe. It felt so de-shamifying. And I just cried and cried. And she was like, with, so she had one hand inside me and with her other hand she like grabbed this card off the sideboard and she gave it to me and she was like this is my friend she's a sex therapist she's like sex and relationship coach she's like go call her she's like you need to chat to someone she's like there's a lot more going on here than just some scar tissue she's like I can work on the scar tissue you need to work on your approach to sex in general and to intimacy mm. in general. She's like, there's things that have come up for you during this pregnancy and you need to talk to someone about it. Yeah. And it was so amazing to hear someone say that to me. And, you know, when I, when I did go to, to a sex coach and I did pour out like this whole, like, you know, crazy life story of like, you know, I, I always knew that I was gay but then I like you know I came from a religious household it was not acceptable I married a man like and I do I I love him to bits he's my he I I consider him my soulmate right like whether people believe in soulmates or not like I don't put it on anyone else I feel that he is my soulmate but but I am attracted more probably to women and just being able to to say that for the first time to someone who wasn't shaming about it because I'd seen therapists before and they'd all been very shaming mm-hmm. about like well monogamy right. is monogamy and yes yeah. you know and she was just like yeah you know like what do you want to do there's three options and I was like there are three options and she was like yeah there are three like one is that you yeah, can like <laughs> leave him and I was like definitely that's not an option like that's not happening and she's like okay two is that you can like stay with him and continue to cheat which doesn't seem to me making you feel good and like you have a weird relationship with that and now you have a child so choices and I was like yeah no don't want to do that and I was like mm-hmm. what's the third one and she was like you could open your marriage and have open communication and I was like oh, that'll never work and she was like right <laughs> who has a PhD in sexology me or you and I was like well not me and she was like that's right <laughs> that's right <laughs> sassy right and That's that was so just, funny. yeah. And it just, it, op- it changed my life. Like That's having amazing. children, quite, like yeah, going to literally. the pelvic floor therapist changed my life because it changed my relationship. Like we have now have an open marriage. Like I am like sexually fulfilled and happy. He is more connected to me because I actually talk to him about things and right. we have a much richer intimacy and fantasy and all of those things improved dramatically even though we had children, even though we were sleep deprived, even though I was breastfeeding, all of those things, when you add communication and lovingness and de-shamifying and just all of those things together just makes for such a richer experience. And you can be a parent and have great sex. You can be a parent and have an open relationship and not screw up your children you can 
like live the sexual lifestyle that you want, whether that's dominance, submission, BDSM, like whatever you want, you can do that and be a parent right. and still have vanilla friends. You can have it all. And I want all my clients to know that. I like, it doesn't matter what you want. Like, it also doesn't matter if you don't want sex, right? Like if right. you don't want to have sex, but you want to have a really intimate, romantic partnership, cool. Let's work on that. Like, let's make that the yummiest relationship that you can ever have. I love that. I honestly, I love that because I think so many people feel the rigidity of it. Um, And walking into coaching or therapy, you know, it's this feeling of like, oh, I have a problem. It must be solved um, in a very structured way. And I think a lot of people coming to coaches, um, sex coaches, intimacy coaches, or therapists, you know, realize, oh, there's so much more, like there are all these doors that I can open that I didn't realize because it's about, um, it's about touching in on the other emotional aspects with all these interconnections for us that we don't realize our triggers are we're projecting all these things I know even like a simple question of like or you know a simple suggestion of well you could you could tell your husband it's like we um in our society put our blinders on and we think no I can't can't possibly so we don't even think about that option But as soon as someone says, oh, well, it is a possibility just to mention it and see what happens. And then look what happened. Like you guys are, yeah, you guys have like this 2.0 relationship. You guys are um, in a totally different space and you can feel like you're more authentically yourself and show up better for for yourself, for your family. So how would you say like for someone coming who who wants to come in, because you've got a lot of hats, like if someone wants to come in for um, sex relationship and intimacy coaching, um, you know, what are some things like a lot of people are really scared to do it. They like, they have it on the list. I'm going to do it. Or they send the email, they set up the session and then they cancel and they're like, no, never mind. Like what, what's the feeling? What's the vibe? Um, when going in with you yeah so with somatica there's basically the three pillars of somatica are embodiment sexuality and relationships and within all of those cornerstones there's different there's different things that people can learn that will just improve their relationships which will improve their sex life which will just make them more connected so I'm an experiential coach which is difficult during COVID times, right? Because you can't, mm. so th- there's definitely boundaries and that limit doesn't mean that I have sex with people during sessions. That is not what being an experiential no, I coach always have to do that to have to say, my clothes stay on. Exactly. I'm not masturbating in front of you. Like I've had some weird questions right? like from people yeah. who were like, oh yeah. So, and then I never hear from them because I'm like, no, no, it's all it's not but that. unlike therapists we can touch people which sure. goes beyond the boundaries right so so for therapy like the boundaries are very very rigid for coaching right that there are there's certainly boundaries in the somatica method and the boundaries again are you know you keep your clothes on and there is no touching of the gentles mm-hmm. but you know i can touch people's necks i can touch people's arms we Mm. can like gaze into each other's eyes and caress each other's faces you know because I'm teaching people the tools 
to, you know, what feels good and, and can you enforce your boundaries? Can right. you say if something is not feeling good? Like, can you recognize when you're starting to feel like, I don't like this. And when mm-hmm. you're starting to feel that, can you say it to me while in connection with me? Yeah. Can you say like, hey, I have a boundary about face touching right now. Sure. Yeah. Right? And that's and, huge. It's yeah. huge for, I'm going to say women right now. Um, it's huge. We have so much fear. Like uh, so many of my clients come in and they say, oh, I don't, I, I, I don't know how to speak up and say, I don't like it. Or I'm in pain in that position, but I, I can't say it. And I don't think people really understand. Like there is like a, a deep rooted fear of speaking up about pain or speaking up about wants or desires. Cause we're taught that like when it's around pain, um, around sex, we don't really get that say. And so as we're evolving now in this society where we can, um, we can lean into our natural, you know, sexual urges and just the sexual, like our, we're just sexual beings. We're at war We're we're like, well, I've been raised even, even if it wasn't outwardly told to me, like our, our media, the shows we watch, the things we listen to, the books we read, there's just, it's always present that we're not, we're not the ones who get to choose what we want and we don't get to guide the experience. But then we've got this other side where we've got this sexual liberation and empowerment and we can choose and we can go out and sleep with who we want and we can choose what gender we want to sleep with and how we're showing up. But then when in, in the bed and you can have the most powerful woman, um, you know, who is speaking with leaders and at conferences, like around men, putting her foot down. But then when it comes to the bedroom, something happens and we lose our voice and we get scared to hurt the male ego. We get, we get scared to speak up. And I, and I am speaking very like gender. I'm, 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 I'm being very gender rigid right now. Um, I've had girls I haven't been able to speak up with by the way as well. Okay. Where I've been in situations where I'm like, oh, I really like this girl. And if I tell her that she's it's not hitting the spot for me right now like maybe maybe she won't want to do this again right right because it's it's rooted in this sort of like what if they don't like me if Mm -hmm. i if i say that like what if it comes back as a bad reflection on on their skill what if they take it apart yeah what if they get hurt and then they won't want to be with me anymore exactly right I know. And then you're thinking about it. Like, how do I, how do I mention it? Which is why you should always be thinking about that beforehand. Then you, then you just lose, you lose the the mojo and the orgasm and the sensations and the experience because you're in your head. How do I speak up for what I need? So this is so important. It's so important um, to, to have this, this kind of coaching. And just to know that you have boundaries, right? Because when I went into the Somatica Institute training and we had sessions on boundaries and I was like I don't have any boundaries and people were like what do you mean you don't have any boundaries and I was like I just I've never hit a boundary like I've never had someone say that they want to do something to me in sex that I'm like nope and then it was like okay but that doesn't mean you don't have any boundaries and I was like I'm pretty sure I don't and then someone was like can I stick my finger all the way up your nose during sex and I was like sure and they were like you made a face before you said sure that face is the face of, I don't think I really want that. Why did you say sure? And I was like, well, if it would really turn you on. And they were like, but does it turn you on? And I was like, well, no. And they were like, 
all right, do you want to just say it like that then? Like, it doesn't really turn me on to have your finger up my nose during sex. Yeah. But if it's really important to you, like, sure, let's discuss it, right? Like, but like, but I didn't even know that I could like say no. I was just like, well, you know, if it's your thing, like, go for it. And they were like, no, Sylvie, you don't want that. So why don't you just say, I, it's not my thing, but you know what? Like, maybe, maybe we'll discuss it and maybe I'll feel differently after I hear about why it's really important to you. But like knowing that you can just say no, you can say like, no, that doesn't sound good to me or that, or like even as it's happening to be like, you know, I thought this would feel really good to me. And actually it doesn't feel as good as I thought. Can we try something else? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, and how you rephrase things and That's how you so redirect big. things. Yeah, absolutely. So, and we do a lot of that. I'll do a lot of de-shamifying. I find that de-shamifying is pretty much the basic part of my practice. It's the most, the most you can do for someone is to de-shamify all of, all of the stuff. We all carry such shame. And even when we think that we have de-shamified ourselves, there are more layers. It's like an onion. There's just layer after layer after layer that society piled on us, that our parents piled on us, mm-hmm. that strangers piled on us. Everyone keeps piling these layers of shame on and we internalize them. So there's there's that. There's, you know, teaching people basic breath work and how to activate their pelvic floor, which is just so cool to just see them be like, oh, I can do that. I can turn. I'm like, yeah, you can turn yourself on at every single traffic light. I was like, traffic will never be a thing for you ever again. Cause you're like, cool traffic. I can like (laughs) totally like do some breath work and contract my pelvic floor until I'm almost at the point of having an orgasm. Like amazing. (laughs) And like how to talk about fantasies. Like a lot of people are so ashamed. First of all, it ties into the shame again. They're so ashamed of their fantasies. Right. Like, and then they also think like, nobody will share this fantasy with me. It's mm-hmm. like, everyone will share your fantasy with you. It's probably so common. And if it's not common, then cool. You're so unique. Like, yes. Yeah. Like right. And just share your fantasies, talk about them, de-shamify them, figure out if your partner's into it, because how much harder is it if you can actually share that fantasy that you haven't been sharing for your whole life with yeah. your partner, who's then suddenly really excited about it cool great like you've already taken your sex life to the next level you know also just basic relationship things like repair we are so bad at doing repair and not just with our lovers with friends with parents with you know employers with with employees we're bad at taking you know taking repair into our own hands and being vulnerable about repair Right. Like, so when, whenever we repair, usually we'll blame, we'll shame, we'll say, well, you did this and it made me like, yeah, it's like, you no. made me feel this way. Yeah. 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 And it's like, let's just talk about feelings. Like I feel this yes. when you yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah. And when you do that, it makes me feel like my dad used to make me feel when right. I was five, when he yeah. used to yell at me. And when you yell at me, like I feel like that five-year-old again who had no recourse and whatever right and it will put the other person in a whole different frame of mind where they'll be like oh I didn't know that that's how you felt when you were five and being yelled at and I didn't know that me yelling at you caused you to feel like that again Mm -hmm. like no people don't really want to hurt you they just hurt you by accident because you have triggers that they don't necessarily see so just teaching people to trigger map right like figuring out like what are your triggers right like and then let's trick trip them together and let's see like if we can like lower their activation level for a start yeah 
And then let's like figure out how you communicate those triggers to a partner and say like, hey, I've done some trigger mapping and I know these things about me that if you do these things, it will likely trip a trigger. And here's what it looks like when you trip a trigger for me. And when you do trip a trigger, here's the best way to ease me out of it. Yeah. Right. Uh, And and, and you know what? It's so profound. Like I do that. Um, not only in my like romantic relationships, but I do that with my family. Um, and it is so helpful because it deescalates the situation because it's not really a you problem. It's uh, I mean, sometimes it is, but right. a lot of the times it's yeah, like okay, so I recognize that I'm being vindictive right now because I feel like I have to be on edge. Um, because this is you know, it's what it's reminding me of this past situation and I'm projecting that onto you and, and I'm triggered, you know? And so it's still an issue that the way you've spoken to me, but you know, this is what, what's happening internally for me. So you can understand, I mean, it's like the best gift of all to understand what's going on with your partner, but you have to know that for yourself first. Exactly. And, And then both of you also need to work on that too, because the worst, the worst thing is, the worst thing is to be talking about a trigger and how it's affecting you. And you've tapped into that, that emotional depth. And then your partner has not done their work in any way. And they're like, why do you keep saying trigger? Why do you keep, you know, well, maybe stop being triggered. (laughs) So it's important that both people, you know, you have to find I find it's like a tertiary language. I think, you know, we all come regardless of uh, gender, we speak our own language and then we show up in relationship in regard, like regardless if it's a friendship or a romantic, we show up and we think, well, this is how I speak. This is my language. And then just expecting the other person to be fluent in that language, but they're not, they had different experiences, right? They have different triggers. They, they, um, things are just are perceived differently in their own mind. And so it's about finding that tertiary language of both. Okay. I speak, you know, this one, this, and I speak this, but we can't just be speaking our own native tongue. We have to find that middle ground, um, for this relationship to work. We both have to compromise. Um, and I, I just, I want to say to anyone and everyone who's listening to this, if anyone is thinking, Oh, this actually sounds like it could help for sure. Um, what Sylvie's talking about with trigger mapping, um, you know, it's scary to tap into those emotional, um, vulnerabilities, but it will do a world of uh, like, it won't only change your relationship. It will change the way you understand yourself. It will change the way you show up in life and it will change the way you attract people. Um, I am such a huge fan of vulnerability. And if you can understand your own issues, it does throw people off. I, I had a, an ex fiance and I was really upset one day and he's like, you are being so malicious. And I, I stopped and I said, yes, I absolutely am being malicious. I'm sorry. The reason why I'm, I'm being that way is because like when I was 10, this situation happened with my dad and da, 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 da. And the way you did this reminded me of that you shouldn't have spoken to me in this way, but it's 
escalating the situation because I'm triggered because of it. So yes, I am being malicious. I am aware of it. And it is kind of like a mind fuck to people because like, I just validated that I was being toxic and people like the worst thing is when you, you can't toxic. validate. Well, I oh yeah, I, I don't like I, when I, I, that's a good point. Toxic. No, you that's a good point. A good person now. <laughs> you. Our bodies, our bodies protect us, right? Like, and let's not knock our defense mechanisms. Let's celebrate our defense mechanisms. Like that. They kept us safe all the way through our difficult childhoods and all wow. the things that hurt us until now. There is no way that you are being toxic. Nobody is toxic. Nobody dies after coming into contact with you. You are not nuclear waste. You are now. <laughs> and you are amazing. Oh, right? you know, I like that. That's, um, I like that. You know, and I've not heard that before. I've always gone on the, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm have, I am exhibiting toxic qualities right now. And I'm aware of that. And I know I'm not a toxic person, but like in that moment, nobody but, is a toxic, but person. I like that. I like that. Well, I think he is, but <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Sylvie, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. There are so many more things that I want to talk about with you. Um, those of you listening, so Sylvie um, has so much, like so many stories, such interesting, like there's so much about her. So I'm definitely going to have her on. If, if you'll be on, will, will you come to. back? Thank okay, you. good. I would love to. There's some really cool, cool stuff. I'd love to talk to talk to you about and rack your brain. Like as, um, as like someone who's just newly coming into like my sexuality and being attracted to women. Um, and welcome. Welcome. Are, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, world. Like from a, from a baby gay to an experienced gay, <laughs> I have so many <laughs> questions that I think would be really helpful for people, um, along with some cool stories you have. So, um, before we ha- head out, I want to ask you, what is something that you wish that younger Sylvie had known about her, uh, sexuality, sexuality and body? Hmm. Um, I think I wish I'd have known I wish I'd have discovered sex toys way earlier. I discovered really? sex toys like late in my twenties. Okay. I like I, I'm, I mean, I'm great at using my fingers, and I've always been great at using my fingers, and and also the jets in the pool, by the way, hot tubs, <laughs> pool, whatever. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I had like just this weird stigma about sex toys. About like, I think online buying has made everything so much easier. I think yes. you know, I'm I'm 38, so. Uh, back in the day, it wasn't super easy to just get things online. So you'd have to actually go into a physical shop. And I think that sort of made me feel like, yeah, I don't want to mm-hmm. do that. So I didn't really discover sex toys until pretty late into my 20s, early 30s. And oh my God, like what a whole new world that was. Do you have I, a favorite sex toy to, right now? I have like- so many sex toys. I think I have more sex toys than anyone now. I know. <laughs> I think I have like 16. I ones. love it. I love it. And I'm <laughs> always like- This month's favorite. Mm, this month's favorite is, um, I have one called the Duet Crave. D-U-E-T Crave. Okay. The company. I'm not sure if Crave is the company or if Duet is the company, but- um, either way, like it is, oh, it's 
amazing. I love it. And you can also program it yourself to have like the vibrations that you want. So you plug it into the computer. It's got USB no. stick. You stick <gasps> it into the computer and you can like program the vibrations Stop yourself. it. And is it's, it just for you or to, can you use it with like, is it a dual I use partner? It with, I use it with, a so it, it looks like a fork kind of thing so it has like oh. it has two prongs yeah and so so it vibrates on on the like around the clip which is perfect it, like it goes like all around okay but um when I'm using it with a woman I can lick in between it no what yeah because oh. there's space for my tongue there I think I know it, what you're talking vibrates. about it kind of looks like bunny ears essentially kind of, but they're flat they're oh they're flat, flat. okay because yeah. I have one that's round on each side but so yeah okay. I have told little Sylvie that sex toys are really fun and use them sooner and I think I'd also have told her like you know what babe life is not fair sometimes and you are going to face disappointment mm. you know I think learning to face disappointment has been such a gift in my life like that sounds like such a bummer to end this on like learn to face disappointment guys <laughs> but like it really is like once you learn that like life is full of disappointments, but that you will get through them because a disappointment is just a disappointment. And then you can go get your needs met, right? Like maybe one person isn't going to meet your needs. Maybe one toy isn't going to meet your needs. Maybe one situation is not going to meet your needs. But you know what? If you're committed to getting your needs met, you will find a way to get them met. So yeah, yeah, feel that disappointment. Feel it. Don't dismiss it. Work on it. Like build your resilience and move on and get right. your needs met. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's allow it to be a driving force, like part of a driving force and don't just stop at disappointment. Yeah. You know, don't live there. Yeah. I, yeah. I like that. So don't Sylvie, where, where can we find you? Where, when, where can the, the people find <laughs> you? So I've, I've been, it's, I have such a love hate relationship with social media. Uh-huh. And then yeah. recently I was like, oh, I need, I need to start. I mean, I know now I'm not, I'm not as cool as you on TikTok. I'm not, I'm I'm not like, I'm too old for TikTok. No. I look, I, I look on TikTok. I watch everyone else's videos. I'm yeah. like, look how yeah. cool those kids are today. And then I'm like, <laughs> God, I sound so old. Um, but uh, I have an Instagram. So I, I recently uh, decided, cause I, I'm British obviously, and I love reading and I love all things Jane Austen. So I decided to call my business Sex and Sensibility. And the sex is with a three as, uh, you know, to make it Instagram and Facebook safe. So it's Perfect. a S3X and sensibility uh, on Instagram. And I will have a website uh, at some point. Uh, but yeah, it's Perfect. just. And then an email. Uh, and yeah, uh, an email to reach me on is Sylvie, S-Y-L-V-I-E dot Barak, B-A-R-A-K at gmail.com. Perfect. That's amazing. So I'll put those in the show notes for everyone to access directly from wherever you're listening to. And then when Sylvie gets her website up and running, I will go and edit that when that's ready and put that in. So you guys can find her and she has such a great personality. If you didn't figure that out, uh, during this, this podcast, um, and so, and you're, you're located in the San Francisco, San Francisco Bay area, but you do take clients worldwide internationally. 
take clients on on zoom and obviously if anyone is in the bay area thank you so much sylvia it was a pleasure to have you on thank and you, we will no. be, be having you on more so many more stories i want people to hear so yay all right cool. thanks everybody thanks for listening and oh i'll see you next week see you later bye